0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work Life Integration Project. And author of the bestseller Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
1: Callie Williams Yost is founder and CEO of the Flex and Strategy Group, an organization of experts in flexible workplace strategy, change management, leadership, instructional design, and communications. Callie is an internationally recognized workplace strategist and futurist for more than two decades she's predicted many early work transformation trends and used those insights to develop innovative strategies that help organizations build dynamic, future-ready work cultures that attract and retain an engaged, diverse workforce, increase productivity and innovation, and enhance employee well-being. She's a former commercial banker and an honors graduate Of Columbia Business School and noted as an alumnus changing the world. In 2018, she was named one of the global management thinkers on the radar by Thinkers50, and she's been cited as one of Forbes' 40 women to watch over 40. I've known Callie's work for a long time, and it's great to have her on the show. In this episode, Callie and I talk about what it takes to make flexible work arrangements a reality in organizations of all kinds. She translates her wealth of experience into practical advice for identifying the benefits of change in work culture for both employees and their organizations. She's very keen to find those win-wins and how to discover them and take meaningful steps toward creating positive change without massive disruption. It's not that hard, as Callie describes it, because in almost all organizations, there are outcroppings of innovation from which lessons can be readily learned. The key is to look for them and build on the successes they embody. And she talks about how to do that and gives some great examples in this episode. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast. And if you do, I would so much appreciate it if you would please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And help us spread the word so others can enjoy it as well. So now, without further ado, get set to listen to and learn from the wisdom, the insight of the great Callie Yost. (music) Callie Yost, welcome to Work and Life.
0: Oh, thank you, Stu. That was a wonderful introduction, and I am thrilled to be here. It is a treat. It truly
1: is. Well, let's. So you've been you've been at this for a long time, helping leaders unlock organizational performance by reimagining, rethinking how, when, and where work is done, and how life is managed. Let's start with briefly. How'd you get into this work? What led you to it? You were a banker, so what happened?
0: So actually, this is an interesting story, Stu, because you know it's always fascinating where something begins to see how it continues
2: mm-hmm.
0: even so many years later to be ultimately what the focus remains so it started back when i was a manager in training at a bank where we specialized my team specialized in lending to closely held companies and you know at the time i was married but i didn't have any kids and My business depended upon the relationship between the banker and the client because there weren't audited financial statements. So when I lost somebody who worked for me, it affected my business. And I had two people, a man and a woman, who were having difficulty fitting work and life together, integrating work and life. And um, the woman actually ended up leaving. And when she left, her book of business became vulnerable because Mm -hmm. um, her clients as one client said to me, your money's as green as mine, uh, the people down the street now. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, why should I stay with you? So I just had started keeping a file in my desk about Mm. this newly emerging field of work and family, work and life, flexibility. And I just, proposed to my management and this is back in the early 90s why don't we let them work remotely or reduce their schedule and of course they looked at me like you're crazy i don't even know what Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um i saw this as being something that was going to be important and was going to just get bigger um and i left banking went to columbia business school and that's where it all began
1: so in in business school, you, you started to develop further this concept and how you were going to try to be an agent of change in this newly emerging arena?
0: Well, what happened was I wanted to work for Families and Work Institute. That was my big reach goal. I wanted to be mm-hmm. – I actually wanted to see Dana or Ellen – Dana Galinsky or Ellen uh, – Um, Alan Glensky or Dana Friedman Mm -hmm. speak that was my reach goal Um, and so I took as many organizational development classes and leadership classes strategy classes with that goal in mind that I was going to somehow get in front of them and get a job and it worked out and I ended up getting an internship there I ended up um, working for them after business school was over Mm -hmm. and so I combined my banking Knowledge, which was the first client I worked on for them, was uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. And so I brought my banking knowledge mm-hmm. with what I had learned in business school and, you know, worked in their organizational change, uh, flexibility, work-life, consulting practice.
1: And what's your perspective then now, looking back 20-plus years, on what's been the most significant change in the world that has affected the capacity uh, for Organizations to enable their people to have the kind of flexibility that that um, gives them the opportunity to to lead the lives they truly want.
0: You know, I think it's it's many things, many trends coming together at the same time. Of uh-huh. course, technology has had a huge impact. On not only the expectation for flexibility, particularly on the part of young people, mm-hmm. but the ability to do your job not sitting in an office—that really has made a huge difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, also, I noticed that on oh, uh, on social media today, if I'm not mistaken, you you posted a piece that showed how uh, remote work had spiked remarkably in the last like few days. Uh, because of the uh, coronavirus. Do I have that right?
0: Yeah. Well, actually, it's spiking right now in China, in Asia, and in Europe as they respond to the virus. But I really believe, um, unless we're going to have a completely different experience in the U.S., I ultimately believe that there will be um, the need for U.S.-based organizations to at least change their travel plans Mm -hmm. to other countries and perhaps um, do some of that work virtually on video conferencing Mm -hmm. um, and also perhaps have more people remote work just in order to manage the virus and that you have to prepare for that Mm -hmm. you can't just hand people a laptop one day and say oh look go work someplace else for the next few days it actually doesn't work that way so um, so I think smart organizations are going to to start to plan and prepare. And that's why I wrote that post to outline what that would look like.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so those are some of the trends that have kind of reshaped uh, the landscape that we're all trying to navigate here. What else have you seen that, that uh, has, has changed that, that's significant that, that listeners ought to be sort of thinking about as we get into now what can organizations do today to prepare for tomorrow?
0: Well, Sue, it's interesting. You and I talked about this before. Um, I do think that millennials and Gen Zs are coming into the workplace with a very different sensibility Mm -hmm. about work. And I think the generational conflict there is they see work more as a what they do, less as a where and a when they do it, whereas perhaps older generations such as ours, um, approach work I'm more and way. I'm way older than
1: you, Kelly. Please stop that.
0: <laughs> I'm going to put us in the same. No,
1: category. you could be my daughter. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Anyway, um, continuing. Okay. So um, we tend to focus. We tend to think of work more as a where and a when. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think even let's look at parents for a minute. Parenting yeah. in this next generation, and this is why your book's so important is. Um, This generation, let's particularly say of fathers, has a different expectation around how they are going to parent than, say, the generation one or two ahead of them. Mm -hmm. And um, so their expectation is they will have flexibility, whether it's I will have flexibility to take some type of parental leave or and I will also have the flexibility I need to be a parent. While I am also delivering for
1: you. You know, I like to think of that shift. You tell me if you think this makes sense to you as the way that women, perhaps of your generation, you know, 20, 25 years ago coming out of school, thought they could have it all. Men today believe that they can have it all. They can be the involved, engaged, you know, uh, loving fathers that they that their parents, that their fathers weren't able to do because of the constraints on the role expectations that they had to face and and have kick ass careers. What do you think? Does that make sense?
0: I think I think you're I think you're right. And I also think what's interesting about that is the pushback that they get from fathers that are a generation or two before. Mm-hmm. And I call it some it's almost like a weird funky hazing that
2: well, I did it. Yes. I,
0: like, a, like I'm like, oh, well, I didn't. I had to, you know, give up this and I'm not going to. Why should I help you? And mm-hmm. I think that's where some of the conflict is. It Because I I hear these young dads saying, I just think we can work differently. I don't think we need to do it exactly the way we have been doing it. Can we be open to thinking about doing it differently? And I think sometimes the the people that went before are looking at it as kind of an apples-and-apples situation where, like, well, nope, you know what, that's what I did, and you're going to have to do it that way, and Mm -hmm. that's right. And I don't even know if they consciously know that.
1: Kelly, you were just talking about the resistance that exists either consciously or not to new models for employment that are being uh, advocated for by young people, particularly young fathers, you were saying.
0: And I, and also, I think, in, in their partnership with young women. With women mm-hmm. um, I think together there's this expectation. And the, what I try to say to perhaps the people that went two or, one or two generations ahead who may be resisting some of this push to rethink the model of work is you also benefit today. This is a win for you as well. Mm -hmm. So they have to look at their circumstance where they are in their life and say what they're proposing is a reframing of how, when and where we work that actually helps everybody today produce more, be more productive, have a better opportunity to not only thrive professionally but also personally that maybe was not the case. 20 years ago Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's something to be open to and hopefully listen to and engage in versus shut down which i think um is sometimes the first default now and that's why i think it's so good that you have books like yours um because anytime we can point out where that um overlap between work and life really is very relevant and reciprocal Mm -hmm. and mutually reinforcing Mm -hmm. I think it can help that conversation and I think it breaks down some of the barriers and actually can help us go to the next level
1: yeah and and everyone really has a role to play in creating new models and experimenting with with change you've had some experience though working with organizations trying to do this and uh, I, I'm very interested in hearing a bit more about, well, anything further you want to say about why change isn't happening faster. And then let's get into, you know, where where it's working and what's making it work. Because uh, I know that listeners are keen to know. All right, if I wanted to make my organization a more flexible and responsive place for people to come to live this part of their lives so that their whole lives can be fulfilling. Where do I start? What do I do? Uh,
0: Yeah, you know, I think the first step is leadership. And I know that's going to sound a little trite, but it's really true. The first place to start is you have to have a leader who understands that the world is changing and the organization has got to evolve and adapt. Um, You know, I... I still think there's kind of a – there's some – first of all, I think there's some group that doesn't even understand that the world is transforming and they have to adapt. Then I think there's the group that kind of hopes it will just sort of go away. Like, okay, if we just hold in there long enough, everybody will go back to the way we used to work and we don't have to change things and we don't have to look at new ways of working and and managing life. Um, And then there's the group that's just like, look – It's changed, and here are all the ways we are going to benefit from this. There's enough research that shows us that when you implement flexibility effectively, you get more productivity. You get higher levels of performance. People do collaborate and coordinate better. You are able to be responsive when there's a disaster like a potential coronavirus that hits your organization. You don't have to shut down. You are able to attract, retain, and motivate not only younger talent, but mid-career talent. And also, increasingly, I'm hearing more interest in how do we stay connected to the people who would otherwise retire? Because they're getting ready to walk out the door unless we try to find a creative way to stay connected to them. So, again, people are, could it be more innovative. There's just – Stu, you know this. I always laugh. I'm going to say this to you because you really are going to understand okay. what I mean when I say this. If there was as much data behind the positive impact of something as there is around all of the things that you and I talk about, it would have been implemented everywhere 100%.
1: So what so so there's a lot of deep resistance because of cultural norms and and yes. and uh you know the underlying often unconscious bias that people bring to what an ideal worker looks like. Yeah. So if if you're in an organization where you know some people might be open to innovative uh, you know ways of uh experimenting with the way work gets done, the where, the when and the how, uh but there are others who think uh, there's too much for me to even think about before uh, trying to you know reimagine how we structure our our work how what's a good way to get into educating people about the possibilities for mutual gain that can that can emerge as a result of there being uh, experiments in change?
0: Well, I do think we have to have great, better language okay mm-hmm. so. This is what I say when I go into organizations. What I'm talking about is high performance flexibility, or a shift in your culture, in how, when, and where work is being done. That becomes part of your strategic framework. I'm not talking about a program or a policy. Okay, I'm talking about fundamentally shifting how, when, and where you are working. Mm -hmm. And I don't call it a transformation because that. Freaks people out, and it's actually not necessary. What we're really talking about. What's
1: what's the freak out factor in in the word transformation? transformation. Sounds too big.
0: It just sounds too big and scary. Okay, like it just sounds like a lot. And the truth is, it really is about identifying a lot of the elements that are already existing in the organization, often in an uncoordinated, siloed way. Building, finding those pockets of innovation that are already happening pulling them together, leveraging them, and then scaling them up.
1: Could you give an example?
0: Okay. So if you go into an organization, really the three silos that we look at and then try to pull together Mm -hmm. are work flexibility. So when I say that, I mean remote work, flex time, the things you normally think about. Then we think of workspace, right? And so it's workspace on and off-site, but also increasingly digital and virtual workspaces that people can work in. And then you get to the technology. And by digital and
1: virtual workspace, you mean like video conferencing facilities, things like that?
0: Correct. Mm -hmm. And also collaboration platforms, right? Like Asana and Trello or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Zoom collaboration. All the things you can virtually click into and collaborate on, Mm -hmm. Um, looking at those and how those are being leveraged. And then that also overlaps with just all the technology. So what are the various software and hardware tools that people would have access to that they could use? And what we find in the work flexibility area is it's there. I mean, people already have some degree of flexibility in how, when, and where they work. Ours, we did a study two years ago of a nationally representative sample of U.S. full-time workers, and 98% said they have some degree of flexibility. That means I can leave five minutes early to go to my kid's soccer game all the way down to I work full-time remote, right? But the point is it's not completely foreign. So where do you find those pockets where you already have some level of innovation happening? And begin to to gather those, and to begin to learn from those, and start to share those stories, and and begin to think about what that could look like. And then, so, you, let's say we okay, go ahead. Well,
1: what are the kinds of questions that help uh, your clients and organizations you're studying unearth the the nuggets of of wisdom that they can then scale or bring to other parts of their organizations? Like, how do you get it, at that?
0: Well, you really have to just go look for it and ask. And reward those leaders, those managers
1: mm-hmm. who
0: have been creative and really hold them up as the examples. What h- tends to happen with those, what I call them, pace setters in organizations mm-hmm. is they tend to be held to the side like they're unusual. Like, oh, that's, that's Jim. Oh, you know, that's Susan. You, we can't do that. And instead of sort of putting them off to the side and saying they're kind of crazy and I don't know what they're doing, hold them up. Talk to them. Ask them why they did what they did. And from that, then you begin to lay the groundwork where you can then train. You've got to train everybody. Everybody needs a brand new set of beliefs. They need a new set of skills, the planning skills, coordination skills, execution skills. And they need to have permission to practice together. That's really where we find the, the the greatest change or the needle move happens is if you train them and then you let them practice for six weeks together. We have shown mm-hmm. that you will have within six weeks a material perceived increase in productivity. But so when you say where,
1: when you say practice yeah. together, uh, yep, w- can you give us a, a more specific example about what that would look like? What would a what would it mean for a group to practice together? Um, because I. I completely understand and affirm that idea, help, help our listeners understand what that might look like in, in an organization.
0: Well, it can, it can, it's really a pilot. So
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: set it up in a way that's comfortable for your organization. The way we do it is we think it takes about six weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Six weeks is enough time to have people have enough experience in real time with these new ways of working. Um, it's enough time to be able to do a good analysis, pre- and post-analysis, mm-hmm. so that you can see needle movement. Get
1: some
0: movement. data. Mm-hmm. Yep. And get some of momentum going that when that six weeks is over, they can keep going.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it doesn't have to be anything too disruptive. It just has to be structured enough so that there is a check-in, that so you're understanding how people are making progress there's support. People are held accountable. Um, And if you do that, you will find that there is progress made. Um, And it's really exciting to watch. I call it, it's almost like flipping the switch. You see all of a sudden this switch go off. And it's like this new level of performance, productivity, collaboration, well-being really does spark and it's really exciting to watch
1: so you work with uh, intact uh, work groups uh, people who work together or is it a random assortment of people who come together to design experiments that they might try over a six-week period how does that typically go
0: um i've done it with a random i've done it with a couple of random groups Uh um the only issue there is they, they're not working then with their own teams, which can be a little tricky for them to have the same um, impact or the same level of, of um, enhanced performance if they're not able to then do it with everybody they're working with. Um, but the teams that, that come together to, to do it as a whole unit, as a whole organization, that's, that's where you get the most impact because – you, you have a leader who's saying, we're going to do this. I am behind it. You get their leadership team behind it. And, again, it just cascades down, and you have this holistic um, change experience and that this, really does have the best impact.
1: This might be something like we're going to try uh, you know, a greater proportion of our time spent working remotely or uh, a shift in schedule or things like that
0: all of the above. Mm -hmm. Um, Each, they're taught, they're trained in what we call the continuum of high performance flexibility, which is really a whole continuum of small shifts or tweaks in how, when, and where you can work all Mm -hmm. the way down to formal plans. And each group determines what that combination is going to look like for them based upon the type of work Mm -hmm. that they have. So let's say you have a, a whole department and you have one group that they don't get their schedule until the night before of what they're doing in their particular job so their flexibility is really going to have to be in real time like whatever works in terms of how when, and where they're working that day uh-huh. then you have on the other end in that same department a group of union employees
1: much longer and cycle so, more predictability more structure and standardization
0: yep. right so what they're going to do it's going to have to be formalized mm-hmm. like it is a formal plan there's no small informal shifting happening there
1: Kelly, uh, we were talking before the break about um, well, about ideas for change and how they percolate, and how you help companies to experiment, to learn what's working, uh, particularly when they can do experiments together to to really uh, make change stick. Um, let's let's continue on that. Uh, perhaps another example, a, a favorite example in your experience, uh, perhaps a recent one where you've been able to help an organization see new possibilities for how, when and where work gets done that enable uh, a better fit for their employees among the different parts of their lives.
0: Well, I'm going to talk to you about well, – this is an interesting one that actually just happened and we're currently working in right now. Okay. It, it really is instructive for how most organizations are coming at this. Um, so I got a call uh, probably two months ago from the CEO of a 100-plus-year-old company, okay? And he reached out to me because he said, I've lost – a number of people to other organizations.
1: It's that retention they, thing, they, right? That's that's the business yep. driver for so much of this is not just not only improving productivity on the day to day, but actually keeping people. It's what started you in people, this.
0: Attracting people I'm absolutely
1: right. So but, but please continue about your story of the CEO of the hundred year old company. I'm losing people yeah. and
0: Yeah. So he was smart enough to say, I don't think this is just about putting a remote work policy in place. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're right. I said, that's going to look good on paper, but that isn't actually going to fundamentally change anything. And what you're going to find is it's going to happen two. it's going to have two, two impacts. One, it is either going to be too limited in adoption to be effective or it is going to be too rigid and mm-hmm. not adaptable to the realities, changing realities of the business to really be effective. And what you really need to do is you need to shift your culture and reimagine how, when, and where your people work and give them a, a dec- decision-making framework that allows them to answer the question, what do we need to get done and how, when, and where do we do that best? And that's something they're asking over and over again all the time and co- coordinating with each other.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, you
0: said that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Now it's interesting. This was a huge change for him. Huge. In fact, the first thing we do when we launch a project like this is we do something called a flash lab. Oh, it's called do a hyper.
1: A flash, flash lab. lab. Yes. Go on.
0: So we have to do these flash labs first because unless you get the direct reports of the senior person on board, it's not going to work. Okay so we have these high performance flexibility flash labs got into the flash lab senior leadership teams there they're diving in but they were resistant and finally i said what is the problem and this one guy sits back and says you know i'm going to tell you what it is i just can't believe he's going to do this i said what do you mean trust and he said he is this is so antithetical to what he believes work is all about i just I can't believe it. And
1: Well, it's not been said, his experience historically.
0: Right. But he really is wanting to do like He literally is smart enough, and this is why he's the CEO, he is smart enough to understand the world is changing. My organization needs to adapt on all these different dimensions and do it in a thoughtful, strategic way.
1: And, and not in a transformation of everything all at once, oh, my God, I can't handle that, but in a smaller step progression right
0: exactly and it's just an organized logical step-by-step fashion we're going to make this shift happen and so i said to this group i said i commit to you that i will go back to him and i will show him the results of this flash lab and i will test his commitment again i promise you if you dive in here with me and let's do this and they're like great Cool. Let's do that. So, what was what was
1: like one of the highlights of the Flash Lab in terms of what came out that you were then dedicated to bringing uh, up?
0: Okay. So, what we do in the Flash Lab is we have them. First of all, we all agree on the baseline of where they are. Okay, where the organization is right now in all the dimensions of high performance flexibility, which they agreed. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we help them articulate their why. Why? Why do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And so important, they articulated a very powerful why that covered customers and talent and sourcing new areas of um, customers and you know, moving into different regions. And it was really powerful. And then once they have the why, we talk about, OK, so what does that look like? Once you've implemented this, what will be happening? What will your clients be saying? Mm-hmm. What will your people be saying? And really start to craft a very vivid vision of mm-hmm. what is going to be the outcome so that it's clear, again, the why, and then what this is going to be. And mm-hmm. then we talk about how, they're, how we're going to get there. And they agree. Not that
1: it. complicated, really.
0: Exactly. But it was really powerful. And we went back to the CEO and we said, this is what they came up with, but. There was concern about your true commitment, and he again said, "I am in it. This is wonderful. I agree with it," and actually took the opportunity at a corporate-wide gathering to publicly get up and state that this is what we were—they were, were doing—and this is why they were doing it.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's got to help
0: yeah it <laughs> creates again, the
1: legitimacy and and the yes. motivation
0: yes, but again, this is not putting in place a remote work policy <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay this well, you generated the ideas for day. change
1: uh from from the people who had the answers uh, exactly. because they live it uh, exactly you, you have to you have to discover the solutions from those people who have all the data you can't you can't yep. impose them that's yeah we've known for for 20 years that uh programmatic initiatives with new policies just never stick for the reasons never. that we've outlined and and your method really helps them to come up with ideas that are going to be more sustainable because they're they're identified and articulated by the people who got to carry them forward
0: that's exactly right. And the, fr- the the process and the framework for getting to that mm-hmm. is there's a consistency in that. But what that ultimately looks like for each organization, it's going to be unique to them.
1: Absolutely. And they Has to to be. own
0: it. And that's really, as I always say to people, this is the magic. People wonder, why do you, gosh, you've been doing this forever. Like, how do you, why are you so passionate about this still? <laughs> do you get tired of it? And I always say, you know what, I, I don't, and this is why. Is that's the magic to me? Is to watch that happen. Is just it's priceless, and I love it.
1: Let's let's switch to the to the experience of the individual. You've you've given us some great ideas for creating change in organizations. Um, as you know, I've got this book coming out soon called "Parents Who Lead." What if you discovered about how being a parent makes you a better leader and how? being a good leader makes you a better parent?
0: I just think in general, having your life be full in a way that is meaningful for you Mm. makes you better at your job.
2: Amen. So whatever
0: that is, Mm -hmm. okay? Parenting, obviously, is one way that can play out. That's one way that people can have a meaningful life. And I just believe, and I've seen it over and over again, that when you are able to invest your energy and your time and your love into something that is meaningful for you outside of work, that comes back and pays itself Mm -hmm. to your job multiple fold because you are just a whole vibrant person. And that's a win for everybody.
1: How does that, how does having that sense of fulfillment in your experience, uh, spill over or ripple out into, into your work?
0: You know, I just, a whole person is the unique secret sauce of every organization, right? It mm. goes back to what I learned when I, when the woman who worked with me quit at the mm-hmm. bank, right? Mm-hmm. And the customer said, "Your money's as green as my as the other person down the street." I don't know. It was the person.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: if if people who work in an organization are able to be their full fulfilled self. And again, whatever that is, if it's parenting, if there's a passionate hobby you have, if whatever that is.
1: Playing ultimate Frisbee.
0: Exactly. You bring that back with you in terms of creativity mm-hmm. and fulfillment. And, um, you know, it's not that it, that it isn't hard work to be a parent and there aren't challenges and it's not always easy, but there's creativity to it. There's, you're bringing new experiences from your children. I got to tell you, Sue, I don't know if you find this with your kids. My children are in their late teens, early twenties now. Mm -hmm. They teach me so much. Like I am aware of the world in a way that I would not be aware of the world (laughs) that I am bringing to my life at work. That is helpful to me.
1: Sure. Well, both. I mean, certainly at that age, in terms of exposure to new ideas and trends, and and so now on on your website, I'm sure you have a TikTok, uh, you know, channel, right?
0: <laughs> you know what? I drew the line. I have to <laughs> tell you
1: too. No I, TikTok. I, I got, oh I, man. I got,
0: you know, you're gonna I find TikTok to say, on Total
1: Leadership if you go there.
0: I'm impressed. Just kidding. I I'm
1: done. Say- no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> done. But you know, next year we'll have this conversation again, and, and we'll that,
0: both have a TikTok.
1: Well, okay. no, but you, not only do you do you pick up on on cultural currents that you wouldn't otherwise be exposed to, but even when the kids are young, you you know, there are other incredible benefits in being so close to that sense of wonder and openness yep. and rapid learning and just you know the the pure joy of being alive that that yes. that you that you carry into your work. There's so many ways in which. Uh, that experience can be a positive one. And of course, it, it's not just about being a parent to, to create a whole life. Many people, of course, um, don't have kids, and that's you know, good for them, good for uh, you know, the people around them if that's their choice, and that's certainly one of the things that we know is a good thing in 2020 that uh, there's a lot more choice that men and women have as to whether or not they're going to become parents. Uh, but that's, that's an important part of life for many people, I want to make sure before we um before we close out here that uh we just underscore this idea that the more as an organization you can invest in the whole person your your point about how that is the secret sauce you know in especially uh, especially work that involves relationships like yours did as most <laughs> most work does uh you know people are going to be much better at forging and maintaining and cultivating nourishing relationships if they feel trusted if they feel um, honored for who they are not just a co- as a cog in the machine but as a, as a human being. Now, the question of boundaries is one that often comes up on this show, as you can imagine. What what have you discovered uh, in terms of the best way that organizations can help? their people maintain the kinds of both physical and psychological boundaries between work and the other parts of their lives that enable them to be the whole people that everyone wants them to be.
0: We have to talk about it. That's how you do it. Mm -hmm. I think what we, we don't talk about it enough. And what I mean by that is it's, it's simple things like be clear about your communications protocol. Like if, I email you like we do not email each other after these hours or at this time, unless it is really important. And then I will text you. So don't worry. You do not have to get back to me using things like the send later function on your email.
1: I'm a big fan. Big fan.
0: Right. But people, (laughs) people do not do this. And I, I use it a lot. I know, but because I like
1: to, to work at odd hours, and I don't yeah. want to I don't want people to expect that they have to get back to me at those odd hours, so I just shift when the when the message goes out. But please continue. This is good. but,
0: that's, but you just did exactly what you just what you said. Mm-hmm. If you prefer to work at these hours, but making that a conscious make putting in place conscious guardrails mm-hmm. around how we are communicating each other, what the expectations are, what does that look like. And that goes such a long way just right there. And also being intentional about how you're scheduling meetings. I mean, if there are people in your group, make it okay for people to say, you know what? I need to leave here by this time in order to make it someplace. And you don't even have to make people say where. Okay, but I just need to leave at this particular time. Maybe it is that they have to get to the child care before it closes. Mm Mm-hmm. Could we schedule important meetings before this time, and just allow that to be a conversation?
1: Mm-hmm. I find if, I find that an additional piece to that conversation that often helps is if you uh, ask all participants to articulate how that kind of adjustment will benefit you know, the collective effort. So it's not mm-hmm. just about what I need yeah. to get to my kids' childcare on time, but Correct. how by my being able to do that, I'm going to be a more productive contributor to this team.
0: Absolutely. Right? Because I don't think sometimes leaders even understand what that does to somebody if you don't get to childcare on time. I mean, it's exactly. not just like, oh, they're hanging around for me there, and I can get there whenever I mm-hmm. get there. Um, no, typically you're charged for that. Mm-hmm. And there are times the kids have been left outside. I mean, there are – and that's horrible, but it does happen. And that's stressful. That is a horrible feeling when you think you are being charged more and your kid potentially is going to be sitting out on the front patio of the child care center if you aren't there.
1: So now i got to so, worry about all my people who report to me what, how, what what their child care arrangements are outside of work? Is that what you're telling you
0: know, me? What, nope. What you need to do is just <laughs> be open to people saying, you know what, ask – Say are there some are there some some constraints yeah. that you guys are working within mm-hmm. that i that we should all be aware of
2: and mm-hmm. have people
0: put it out there but you know what also know you always have to be flexible with your flexibility and if there is a meeting that just has to happen at a particular time you'll do your best to give people notice and then you do have to have backup i mean you do have to have backup supports so that those times you're just going to be able to be there and you know but again making that just a planful, ongoing conversation is really helpful.
1: What's the most optimistic trend you've observed uh, in in recent months or years about how people and organizations are are approaching the puzzle of of fitting it all together?
0: I am super optimistic that I'm getting more and more CEO-level leaders saying, we got to do this and Mm -hmm. taking it seriously and seeing it as a strategic imperative for their organizations that's when meaningful change is going to happen and it is really exciting to see and i'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes i really am, i'm excited about it
1: i'm seeing that as well uh, you know partly it's a function of many of the people who are running companies now have kids who are having kids uh, mm. or or just kids who are trying to you know now in their 20s and 30s they're trying to forge careers and what they want for their children is is the opportunity for them to be the kinds of people that they want them to be uh, able to pursue. And so I find that a lot of the, uh, especially in the you know, closer to my generation, CEOs, they're open to change because their kids are demanding it. Have you observed that?
0: And, yeah, and I also think this next generation is trying to articulate that it's not a zero-sum game. Yes. That one does not take away from the other,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that I can be, I will work hard for you. This is the part that I think is starting to get through. I will work hard for you, but I just need some flexibility to have a life. And that is not taking away from what I'm giving you. I will give you more if you give me that.
1: Yeah. The potential for win-win is there. We've known it for a long time. As you know, I wrote in 1998 in the Harvard Business Review an article called Work and Life, the end of the zero-sum game. There you go. Well, that's 22 years ago, and it's taking, you know, but the the, the path to change is speeding up, fortunately. Now, as you think about your kids, you mentioned them earlier, what's your hope for your kids as they emerge into the world of work and careers and expanding their lives?
0: You know, I hope they have wonderful, challenging, um, fruitful, professional experiences um, but I hope they have the ability to have a flexible career path as they need it, mm-hmm. um, and I, I hope they have many opportunities to contribute to organizations, but also um, be able to have a life while being at that organization. And I think again, have that win-win and, and um, contribute to that would be exciting for them.
1: And as you look to you know the the many dangers lurking around us, political polarization the destruction of uh, climate, uh, you know, uh, violence being committed around the world in so many different ways, how, what what, what do you think is the most important thing that we can advance to our kids, to the next generation in terms of their readiness for this brave new world?
0: I think they just have to be willing to partner. I think Mm. be partners in change. Partner with people in your own generation, but partner in p- with people in other generations, too. That's the one thing mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. maybe we could do a little bit a better job on is I think the, the cross-generational partnership where all of the real hard-won life-lived knowledge of people that went ahead is married with the new innovative vision of the future of the younger generation yeah. versus – Doubling down as business as usual, holding fast to what was, and or dismissing everything that went before.
1: Okay, that. boomer.
0: Yeah. None okay, of, boomer.
1: Yeah. So exactly. let's 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 communicate more. Let's build relationships. Let's try to reserve judgment. These are all yeah. such wise uh, words, Kelly Yost. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Where's the best place for people to learn more about your wonderful work?
0: Um, you can find us at the Flex strategygroup.com, but also you can follow me on Twitter. I'm posting things on there and LinkedIn. So that's where we normally are. And and Stu, I can't say enough about your new book, Parents Who Lead. Um, I just think it's great, and I hope everybody goes out and gets
1: it. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Kelly Yost, everyone. I hope you found my conversation with Kelly Yost to be eye-opening and that it got you thinking about workplace innovations you might try that would create some needed flexibility. So here, then, is a challenge for you, an invitation. Find somebody who you work with, and together spend a few minutes chatting about what the two of you, start with just the two of you, what you imagine would be a realistic experiment your group might try over, say, a six-week period to enable flexibility in the where, when, or how of work arrangements, making sure to consider the business benefits that might obtain. What do you dream up? And how might you go about getting support for actually trying it out. As ever, I love hearing from listeners, so get in touch with me. Let me know what you discover at Wharton.upen.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132 Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for on-air broadcasts of Work and Life on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org and my book Total Leadership: Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.